Hey everybody, welcome to The Afterword. I'm Dave Tish. You know, you don't have to be a sociologist. You don't have to have a degree in cultural anthropology to know that our culture, our nation, is pretty divided about any number of issues. It just is. But it's not just cultural divisions. It's not just what we see on the news or acted out in political dramas. It's even personal. There's a good chance this year in 2023 you're going to experience conflict and division causing from some sort of disagreement between you and somebody that you either work with or who you work for or who you live with or who you love. It just is inevitable. That's just the way it is. And we're in the middle of a new sermon series called A New Resilience in which we're examining three things that really drain us, that sap us to our core. One is depletion, just being being depleted, having our batteries on E. One is division, and one is distraction, that these things are kind of core issues that we have to deal with as we head into the new year. We're going to talk about division this week, and our operational theory, our going hypothesis, is that a lot of division, 50% or perhaps even way more, is caused because of a lack of humility on our part, that somehow if we if we lived out humility, that we would somehow be able to not just get through all the division, but actually heal it. And we're going to talk this week with Andy Barone, who leads up our Casa de Fe campus, and Steve Clifford, who preached at our Saratoga campus, about this topic of humility. And one of the things, and this is shocking, is that this idea of humility is rather new in the world. This virtue of humility, and we love humility, we love humility as people, as as a culture, we hate it when people are, are... awesome and they want us to know about it. But somehow when humility comes through, it's not only beautiful, but it's also inspirational. And as we're going to talk in this podcast, we're going to show that this virtue of humility can be mapped back, not to the ancient world, which had no value for humility at all, but right back to the middle of the first century with this carpenter, this Jesus of Nazareth, who started a humility revolution, not just by what he taught, but by his death, which caused people to reevaluate what it means to be great. We're going to take a look at humility and see how it can actually be a key to unlocking division and leading to peace and healing. Steve Clifford and Andy Broner here. They're going to help me talk through this. And so let's dive right in. Sit down. Be humble. Sit down. Be humble. Sit down. Be humble. Sit down. Hey everybody, welcome to The Afterword. Oh my gosh. First of all, Happy New Year, gents. I haven't seen... Happy New Year. I haven't seen either of you uh, this year, so Happy New Year. So Happy New Year. Happy, I'm here in the studio with Andy Barone. Hey, hey. Uh, who leads our Casa de Fe campus, uh, and Steve Clifford. Uh, who does not? <laughs> now, you grew up in the South. Was there some Spanish? Uh, oh, yeah, yeah. There's a lot. So you're. would you call yourself quasi-fluent, or what would you call yourself? No, I... No. No. <laughs> I can ask where the bathroom is and tell Donde people. Donde está tell, el baño? Yeah. El tell people my name. Juan es muy guapo. <laughs> Alfonso es estudiante. Mm. <laughs> el, el, uh, yes. Mm. Okay. Uh, <laughs> so, yeah, no. I, uh, whenever I, I'm around Andy, I feel super stupid because y- you go in and out of two languages effortlessly, and it feels like you have this crazy like, weird. superpower. Yeah. I've never asked you this. What's your heart language? Um, well, it was Spanish at first, but then it switches. It's weird. What so do you dream in? Do you dream in English or Spanish? 
Yeah. Uh, both, I guess. That's uh, crazy. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. Anyway. Uh, okay. So here, here's what we're doing. We're here talking about division in general. This new sermon series that we're, we're, we're talking about, uh, depletion and division and distraction. Division is this big one. And our, our operating thesis, uh, and I want to poke at this a little bit, is that division is often caused by a lack of humility or ego or pride. That that is a major, the major contributor, a major contributor. How would you say it? Uh, yeah, I, I, it's hard to classify, but pride's got to be top three. Okay. So I mean, because a lot of the a lot of the manifestations of disagreement, sure, are really kind of anchored back behind it with some kind of pride. Yeah, absolutely. Ego so, is the one that yeah. drives uh, pride and is behind it. Self idolatry, what you want, self desires. Right. Yeah. Well, let me give us some categories to work with here because I, I looked at some social scientists and a lot of researchers have looked at human disagreement. And we're talking about human disagreement and in interpersonal relationships. Uh, so I don't know how to talk about online because that's not an interpersonal. Rela- so we're just going to pretend like that doesn't exist and we're going to boot that. We're talking about interpersonal. Um, they say there's basically three major ways that humans disagree. First, it's a simple conflict, and that's a disagreement about a given subject or topic. The Cowboys are going to go into the Super Bowl or they're not, right? It's a disagreement about a subject or topic that you care that you care about, that's important to you. The second one's called pseudo-conflict, and this is when you hear somebody say something they didn't say or that you misinterpret the meaning of what they, they meant, and all of a sudden it creates conflict. This mm-hmm. is a misunderstanding. Mm-hmm. It's a miscommunication between parties. It's a breakdown in communication. What we have here is a failure, failure to, to communicate. communicate. Yeah. <laughs> and then lastly, they talk about ego conflict, which is kind of what you both kind of got into. And this is deeply entrenched because your dignity, your self-esteem, your self-respect, or your pride is involved. And the example that they gave in the research on this was uh, Aaron Burr and Alexander Hamilton, which resulted in <laughs> death. In a feud. <laughs> a literal duel where yeah. they shot at each other with pistols. That's so that's they're, they're like, this book does not... Uh, advocate for these kind of <laughs> disagreement uh, resolutions, um, but in each of those, um, there is a there's a little bit of humility needed to get past each of them, hmm. um, right? Especially with the ego, for sure. With ego, yeah, but, I, I would even say um, in all of them, humility is needed. Okay, explain. So let's say you and I have a conflict, and it's over something that's actually factual. At some point, one of us needs to bring it up and offer some kind of resolution to the conflict. That takes humility.Ure. Now, let's say we have a quasi-disagreement. Yeah, uh, like I said something and you heard at me some, disrespect you. At some point, somebody has to admit, I, even I felt if, disrespected. I, I felt disrespected. It is incredibly, um, it takes a lot of humility to yeah. come somebody at a point like that and admit your weakness and, and acknowledge the conflict. So it, to me, I'm... Um, Ego just kind of shows up all over. Let me give uh, let me give you an example. Sure. Um, ver- when I very first came back came to Westgate back in the early two thousands, we were trying to decide. We had made the decision that we were going to build a new worship center, and we were trying to decide: do we put the worship center in the back parking lot where it is, or do we put it in the front parking lot towards Saratoga? And kind of where the theater is in front of the theater. oh, in front where the parking lot is. Yeah, yeah. And, and my argument was. Man, let's get it out on Saratoga where the most traffic is and get the most exposure. And um, smarter people than me argued for it to be in the back where it is now. 
uh, of the, among the elder board. And this, this took several elder meetings. Sure. And the, the positions were pretty entrenched entrenched. Yeah. Um, and there were, you know, there was some feeling like, man, come on. And I remember, I remember laying in bed early one morning and this thought came to me, do I really care? Yeah. Do I really care where this building like, is? Like, does built? it really because matter? Because I was driving it that it goes in the front. Huh. I was the I was the strong voice. And and I remember going to the elder meeting and we had this giant conflict. And it was really about my position and the new guy and getting my way. When I didn't at the end of the day, I didn't really care, and I, it didn't really matter. You wanted a new worship center. It, that, it, it didn't care. You didn't care. But I was, was holding the whole thing up uh, because yeah. of because of ego. Huh. And I remember coming to the elder board meeting after the morning that I had this discovery um, and just confessing my own pride and just saying, just saying, I acquiesce my position. I like think we whatever should, you guys we should build it in the back. Yeah. Hmm. And it like the the unity that came out of that. I had one elder come to me and said, and he said, I've been part of elders here, elders um, board for years and years. And I knew God was going to do something special when that happened. I, I just, I just knew that humility just in, infused us. Yeah. And then there were many, many tougher decisions in the years to come. Yeah. But, uh, cause I didn't really care. I mean, I'm fighting my rear off arguing and meeting after meeting for a position I don't even care about. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and I just, I got entrenched in it. It was ego. It was ego all the way. Yeah. 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 Andy, what about you? What speaks to me really loudly about, uh, uh, what Steve just shared is I like how that attitude of, of lowliness that Steve, uh, used brought unity to that group. Yeah. It's humility at its core. And um, uh, that identification of ego and pride and just kind of self-analysis and then just realizing, uh, why, why am I fighting for this? And then having that humble lowliness of attitude approach brought the whole team together. Now that worship center is a place of blessing for... Okay, so let me ask, can I ask a tougher question though? Because sure. there's certain things that you wouldn't capitulate on. Exactly. Now, there are things that don't matter. That's true. Like where it goes, what matters is it gets built. But there's other things. I know there's core convictions that you hold, and they you hold them deeply. That you're not gonna. You're, and you too, Andy. Sure. Uh, um, not that you wouldn't change or evaluate them, or or that you haven't deep positions. But like there are things like right solid now. Solid biblical doctrine. Right. No, right. 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 <laughs> there are things that you're not gonna you're not gonna acquiesce on. Has there been a situation where you haven't? changed your opinion you haven't given it even an inch in your convictions or beliefs and yet you still had to operate in humility and what does that look like because some people would say well i guess humility just means giving up or not holding strong beliefs i don't think that that is what it means yeah i would say that there's very few of those oh really there's very few things where you drive a stake in the ground and say it's like gandalf Oh yeah, no. You, you shall, shall not, not pass. pass. <laughs> you, th- there's very few times where you do that. I, th- I, I mean, when I say very few, I'd say ten or less. Ten or less times in your life. No, that- ten or less things that oh, you yeah. would. You would sure. You Divinity would, of Christ. Yeah, yeah the authority uh, of the scriptures. scriptures yeah, the yeah. salvific work of Jesus. Yeah, yeah. Um, salvation by grace alone through faith. Um, I mean, there's just very. 
so if you start messing with orthodoxy, then sure. of course the, the the responsibility of the shepherd is to guard the flock from doing that. Sure. And but sometimes people feel like if you take a position that's different than what they believe, you are messing with orthodoxy. You know, yeah, I, th- I think I'm mean, thinking about one of the which, first, which indicates a lack of humility. Mm. Well, it can, or maybe like for example, think about the first big church fight, like in Acts, about circumcision. Those the folks that were fighting for it were trying to be orthodox. They were trying to be faithful to God because this is what God had commanded, right? And so there's a sense in which they're not being jerks. There had been a war a couple hundred years ago where the Greeks said, you're not allowed to circumcise anymore, and we'll kill you if you do. And they said no, and their, their forefathers and foremothers and for, you know, forebears, they died at the hands of the Greeks. Yeah, because but there's of- a beautiful thing about that. About that. When, they, when you go to the Jerusalem Council in Acts 15, um, they decide that this issue is so gigantic— it is the major battle of the of the first 20 years of 20 it, 30 years of the it's church. It's a big it's a big deal. And well, you know it is because Paul's epistles almost every one of them speak to the divisions between Jew and Gentile yeah. and how Jesus has overcome those divisions. Right. So you've got this gigantic thing of the Jerusalem Council in Acts 15, but here's what you see and this is beautiful. I wish I had my Bible here so I could read the verse. But right as the, they basically appoint um, they appoint leaders mm-hmm. from all around yeah. representing both sides of the argument, and they call them all to come to Jerusalem. And it says that as they traveled to, Jeru- to Jerusalem, they rejoiced and shared the good news with all who would listen. That's awesome. Yeah. So in the middle of this gigantic fight, there's still this humility of um, joy. Yeah. You know, as they argue. Yeah. I just think that I love that model. I just think we get this. We have lost the ability um, to disagree over things that really matter. And the truth is, is that a lot of the times it's ego. It's not doctrine. It's not philosophy that really that really keeps us apart. It's our egos. I remember uh, uh, an old book, uh, Dale Carnegie, How to Win Friends and Influence People. Yeah. And he says that. People are not uh, beings of intellect, they're beings of emotion. And so, yeah, people get hurt and pride gets in the way. And uh, one of the best ways to navigate, I think, uh, to people and to uh, bring unity is with a humble spirit because in doing so, you're not offending the other person's ego, you're not cutting at their pride, and then they're able to listen and... Uh, be influenced for something uh, better, like unity. Well, it does seem that humility is deeply attractive and beautiful, and and not just that, it's effective. Yeah. Like, um, so like I think about, well, Aristotle in his famous book or series of writings on rhetoric, he said, "Here's how you make an argument that's persuasive. Here's how you persuade people: logos, which is reasoning." Yeah. pathos, which is emotion. And then he says ethos. It's the character of the message carrier. It's that. And, and then humility ties into that because if you're humble, the person will listen. I, I'd love to hear when you've encountered somebody who you you knew immediately was not humble. Like they reeked of arrogance. Like they were great and they wanted you to know about it. Because that and, and then how you really, have you ever encountered like Steve, you're in pastors. I, I guess you can't talk too freely because you'd be calling some people out. But in your time as a pastor, you've seen some pastors. You're like, man, it's going to be real hard to work with you if you keep staying the same way. Right. You've seen that. 
Yeah, I've seen it, but um, I remember about um, 15 years ago, I met a guy, a pastor in San Jose, and he was well-known, and everything about him, I thought he was arrogant, I thought he was proud, Uh I thought I'll never get along with him. And after about five years of no contact, really, just me constantly judging him as an arrogant man, um, he contacted me and said, can we have breakfast? And I ended up, and I don't know even how he got my cell phone number. And he, and we went to breakfast and I realized I was all wrong. Huh? I, you know, what, what, what looked like arrogance from afar, um, was actually not arrogance at all once you got to know him. Huh? And so the lesson for me was it, it's, t- it's difficult to make an indictment over a man and his work and his in his life, um, from afar, it's easy to judge. Sure. It's easy to judge and to put yourself up as better. Um, but when there's this proximity yeah, that causes the relationships to really see one another truthfully and honestly over, over a little bit of a time, man, I was so humbled. I, I, I had to tell him, I had to confess to him that I had, I had misjudged him. Now, I didn't go and tell anybody. I didn't sure, say. Sure, sure, sure. I know what you said. It's a know jerk. You know. But that's but. humility in you. It's like you had to, um, I, you said proximity. Proximity kind of is humility. Because it's if you yeah. have a beef with somebody or you think that they're this, to even enter into that, to re, for that guy to reach out and say, can we have breakfast, is is humility. Yeah. Um, if you know, And for you to say yes and for you to get together. There's a sense in which Jesus coming from heaven to earth is humility. Mm, right. Absolutely. I mean, there's a, there's a humble, he comes to a low estate, even though he's King, he models the idea of going to somebody. So yeah. there's something about that. The, the Philippians two, the kenosis word that everybody has argued over for so many centuries, the emptied, the emptying, he of emptied himself, himself is essentially him being completely divine and having all of the rights and privileges of perfection. Yeah. yeah. Not only just perfection of, 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 um, where he is, it's perfection of community. He is in perfect harmony with the Trinity. Yeah. Yeah. And he puts that aside for what? For, for this? For, <laughs> for us. For us? For the kingdom. For yeah. weakness for as a baby? Yeah. yeah. For being beat up by the bully when he was in elementary school? Which yeah. I know he wasn't in elementary school. Well, he was beat up I mean. by a bully later with Rome. And then sure. getting, and then 100%. arguing with Pharisees who don't have a clue. Yeah. I mean, you, you think about. He created the world, and the world did not know him. How, how humble did he have to yeah. be to, to embrace yeah. that existence for us? Yeah. Let's use positive examples. Where have you seen humility um, just in your own lives with people who had— uh, and we have a definition of humility. Um, uh, let me read it. Um, and this is from John Tyson—or not John Tyson. This is from John Dixon's book, um, Humilitas. Um, we, I thought he had a really interesting definition. He said, it's the noble choice— to forego your status, deploy your resources, or use your influence for the good of others before yourself. So it's an intentional lowering. And the whole point is that Dixon writes, he was part of a, a study at the Macquarie uh, University in Sydney, Australia. Their ancient history department kind of had this huge uh, paper, and they, they, they all researched where did the virtue of humility come from? Because everyone in the modern world's like, loves humility, Right. right. When powerful people get down on one knee and, and like talk to children, you know what I mean? Or when you've got somebody who, you know, pretends or not pretends, uh, is big and famous and they, they act like they're no big deal. That's really attractive. And when somebody 
is really good and powerful and they want everyone to know it. That's like, it turns us off. And he says um, that in the ancient world, humility was not a virtue ever. The idea, um, Edwin Judge, who wrote a book called Social Distinct, well, he wrote lots of stuff. He's one of the foremost historians on the ancient world and its culture. He wrote a series of essays called Social Distinctives of Christians in the First Century, where he teases this out. He says, humility in Greek and Roman ethics would be a degrading thing to put yourself down to a level you were not born to or that your standing in life did not require you to be in was disgraceful and debasing. There was no virtue in it at all. And as they researched, where did this virtue of humility come from? Well, you know where it came from. Yeah, it, well, right in the first true. century, <laughs> it explodes as a virtue. And they say it's not so much the teachings of Jesus that, of course, Jesus did teach about humility, and he, yeah. and he modeled it. It was his execution and on the cross mm which caused the early Christians to wrestle with, wait, if that's the lowest place in human society, yeah. the Romans were trying to put you as low as you could go. And the greatest man that we've ever known, not just a man, but a man God, a Messiah, occupies the place yeah. of, 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 of the cross, then maybe greatness isn't what we thought. Mm -hmm. And it redefines greatness. And Jesus says to be great is actually to become low. And so it redefined, and then they begin living that out, and then the rest of the world, it's off to the races. Jesus, um, and they say the first text in the ancient world that's datable, that identifies humility as a virtue, was what we shared in our services. It's Philippians 2. You know, let me, let me try to read that here. Hold on. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped or used to his own advantage, mm -hmm. but he made himself nothing. There's the emptied himself, right? Mm -hmm. Taking the very nature of a servant, yeah. a slave, right? Being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself, becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. And then the second part of the, that, that verse, um, God exalted him to the highest place, gave him the name above all names, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow. They say that's the first time in the world that the virtue of humility is exalted as a virtue and not something. Just as you think about that in Jesus, uh, the, what did, because that has, that has a bearing on the way that we, just how did you think about that as, as you guys were looking at that? And um, how does that, how does that uh, kind of resonate with you? Well, it resonates me, with me personally right now because uh, a situation with a friend, I uh, went for a, a hike slash run slash walk uh, with him, and he had been having a whole ton of issues with his wife, about to separate. He doesn't oh, want to live with her anymore. And I'm just hearing him out, um, listening, and he's saying, she just always wants me to humble myself to her. I always have to do what she wants. I can't be in sports. I'm a triathlete. I can't do what I want because I want to please her. I always have to humiliate myself, humble myself to her. I wasn't talking about humbling or anything at all, just listening, and, and it just came, and I said, you know, uh, that, that topic of humility, um, it was actually never a virtue, and I just, I gave uh, uh, pretty much what you just uh, talked about uh, right now, about the history of humility. And, I, and then I, I bring it to Jesus in Philippians chapter 2, go through Philippians chapter 2 with him, how Jesus came to this world, humbled himself, and now uh, he has a name that is above all names, that 
every knee will bow to him in heaven and earth and underneath uh, and confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of, of God the Father. And then I did the comparison with Satan, the Satan, uh, that uh, Satan looked up to the heavens and to the throne, and he wanted... He wanted to elevate himself. He wanted to elevate himself to God's throne. Yeah. Uh, he was prideful. He was a, a beautiful uh, being, and a pride just kicked in. And what happens to him? He gets thrown. He down. cast down. Exactly. Yeah. Um, hmm. And Jesus... Oh, you're is, juxtaposing Jesus right, to the right. Satan. Huh. Somehow... In speaking with this young man about the virtue of humility, um, it changed his mind, and he, he was re- he was willing and ready to just call it quits, leave out, leave, leave his his, leave wife his marriage, yeah, and his and his child oh, man. that night. But just the power of the scriptures of that Philippians chapter two and about humbling himself, wow, it changed everything. And so you saw in real time I, how humility actually solves conflict. At real time, wow! This week, wow! That's and, really beautiful. So, uh, man, we can learn a lot uh, about wow. humility and healing division in our nation, but also in marriages. Yeah, and also in just every typical interpersonal. Yeah, yeah. and so, um, man, that's that's, that's super beautiful, man. Thanks for sharing yeah. that. Yeah. Uh, and Steve, you've you've done you've seen this probably a million times that humility is the key to healing. Mm. I've seen it a million times in my own life. Yeah. So. Uh, the, the challenge of two broken people yeah. being in a covenant relationship with one another is a constant process of putting aside our own desires for the desires of someone we love. Yeah. Yeah. And um, it's, it's gigantically hard to do it for someone I love. Mm. And Jesus is calling me to do it even for the people that I don't even like. So, right. You know, humility is. This is tough. This is yeah, tough this is, stuff. Yeah. This is graduate work. Yes. It's yes. graduate work. Yes. Absolutely. Um, okay, so let's talk about the practice of it because it, it is a little bit of a self-death, wouldn't you say? That, oh, yeah. Yeah. So what are some things that... <laughs> I, it, it does feel like just having kids or being married is a, a nice little workshop in humility. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, But in general, what if you want to grow in humility... Um, and I, maybe nobody does want to grow in humility, but it really is a key. You know, I think about like one of the things I think about is if you're pretty great as a leader, if you layer humility on top of that, you'll become even greater. Mm. It's like it's like a, there was a research done um, at, at Stanford and they said that virtue is what did they say? This is really interesting. Um they said uh, the a humility researcher at Stanford named Everett Worthington said, humility is a kind of master virtue that can pull along other virtues if people just work to develop it. Yeah. So somehow humility really, because think about it, you can't learn if you're not humble. It, you go into a situation, you won't learn, you won't be open, you won't be able to connect to other people because you'll think you're better than them. or they're, you know, There's all sorts of things that open up um, they say that humility is the word they use is generative, which means it generates. And a lot of researchers uh, even say that the scientific method is only possible because of humility. Look, I've got a fallen mind. I I got to come up with a hypothesis. I got to test it. I got to sure. open myself up to peer review and peer research. You yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. There's a humility even at the core of the scientific method. So, d- do you see uh, if somebody wanted to grow in humility, like what 
Like, how do you yeah. even advise them on taking steps in humility or what's worked for you or how do you practice humility or nobody wants to perhaps, but sure. like, what, what do you say? What would you say? Uh, what I, what I mostly see being passed as humility is this self-centered, self-debasing act where I'm really doing what I'm doing to get my way. I'm, I'm, I'm acquiescing because then you're going to acquiesce to me. And um, so it's like fake humility. It, it, hmm. it is. It's a, like manipulation. It, it is. And you're, and, and you got to understand and, and the only time. You, so you would never know that's going on with me because my humility and my pseudo humility look the same. But inside, I know my, what I'm trying to do. Come on, we have done this. We want to appear more godly than we are, mm. and so we'll we'll say we'll say the kinds of things which um, we submit ourselves to something. But we're thinking this is this is not only this is going to gain me points. This is gonna this is gonna you know it's like the it's like the husband who says yeah I'll take out the trash, but then you know you owe me something later on at bedtime. I mean, there's it, the, the right. motive is hidden, and only the the person acting behind this facade can know. Um, humility is, I think, often tried in some pseudo way, huh. and but it's always masked with like I don't have perfect motives. I don't. I, I'm pretty sure I've never had one. If I've had one, I didn't become aware of it, and in the minute I became aware of it, it would have lacked to have been perfect. So humility is like that too. It is that, is that, but when most of my motive for submitting in something is that I can get my way in something else, that's not humility. That's what the expression of humility is to do not think of yourselves more highly than you ought, Romans 12, 3, but rather think of yourselves in accordance with the measure of faith and grace that God has given you. So, yeah. you know, so, sober judgment. Yeah, that's that the word. Sound yeah, or yeah. sober judgment. Yeah. It, it, it it, um, when you can do that, when you're so self, like recently I was just in, in a conversation with a doctor cause I'm, I've got to have knee surgery because of my arthritis in my knee. It's tough to get old. Anyway, he said something about, ex I, he, he thinks I'll do exceptional in this. And I said, you know what, doc, I, I I'm pretty self-aware. I, I don't, I don't really do exceptional. I, 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 I'm pretty average in almost everything I do. And that's not, that is, that is a sound, sober assessment. I'm average height, average intelligence, average whatever. I am, you know, and um, I just think that's, that's a sound, that's, that's proper thinking of who I am. So you're, you're saying that in, to grow in humility, you kind of need to grow in self-knowledge and knowledge of God. And that puts you in your proper place. So yeah. That, so one of the things we talked about, I'd love to hear your thoughts on this, Andy, too. Sure. Like, what role does community, the community of saints or Christian <laughs> friendship have in this? Uh, because if you want to grow in humility, it seems like that has to be self-awareness. And the only way sometimes I'm aware even of myself and how I'm coming off is through trusted voices giving me feedback. And sometimes that's really painful, yeah. but I don't know how else to to grow. It's like, does it, have you yeah. experienced that, Andy? In well, terms of community? Um, I think one of the best analyzer of uh, who you are as a person is probably your spouse. Sure. Those are the closest to you. Um, and also the, a healthy community in the church. Sure. Uh, life groups is a perfect place where you can uh, have that fellowship, that community with someone, and they can 
uh, gently uh, tug at areas where they see where, yeah, you know, maybe this, that, or the other yeah. could be a place to, to work at. So, yeah, uh, community is definitely one of those pathways for us to grow in humility. Yeah, it becomes, it's actually the safe place where you can express your self-awareness and it can be evaluated in love. Yeah, either sober or non-sober self-assessment, right? Yeah, you, what you what my assessment of me is not necessarily accurate. Correct, yeah. But there are those who love me. Who can speak into it. Who, yeah. when I say, I think I can do this, yeah. or I think, I think I, you know, I'm this, who could lovingly say, including my wife. Yeah. That's why the importance of a godly wife is is so critical because you will expose your soul to her mm-hmm. regularly and she will either nourish it or she will she will stun it and so yeah. so community becomes the 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 it's it it's not like it's it's not difficult to follow Jesus without community it's impossible yeah and it's right. it you cannot yeah. have an accurate self-assessment of yourself just by looking in the mirror yeah. If it were that easy, we'd smoke this thing every time, right? Well, it seems, I think the privatism of that, you know, search me, O Lord, and see if there's any wayward way within me. Th- that is a great prayer. That is a great prayer. That's yeah. a wonderful prayer. We're Absolutely. told to pray that. And I think that there is a lot to that. But there's also another side of us that it's, I, I think God sends people to try to help us be aware of those things. Uh, and that's his, that's his way of letting us know. It's his way of possibly answering the the search, prayer. Search me, O Lord. Oh. That's interesting. Yeah, it could be. Yeah. A lot of times it is. Mm-hmm. I've learned more in like five minutes of honest criticism yeah. than and I have in like a, a year of self-reflection. <laughs> well, it's like faithful are the, of, are the wounds of an enemy yeah. more than kisses of a... And I'm sorry, faithful are the wounds of a friend more than kisses of an enemy. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, uh, these are, that's great stuff. Uh, I, I'd say that uh, the, the words of Peter, the last registered words of Peter um, in the Scripture, Second uh, Peter 3, 18, uh, where he's telling us uh, this is just a few days possibly before he's, he dies and is crucified and martyred. And he tells us to grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, that, that, that there's there's heavy work to be done well to explain what uh, grace, but it, it it intones like the affections of the person, and then knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ, like data, data, factual knowledge, but also knowing Jesus Christ personally as Lord, Savior, Protector, Shield, uh, our our Rock, everything. Uh, I think the best way to grow in humility is to grow in our knowledge of Jesus Christ. Paul talks about this when he prays for the church. He's not praying for the church to be wealthy and to buy houses and more Teslas. He's praying for the church to know Jesus Christ. And uh, and him crucified, which is humility's yeah, baked, yeah. So, baked into that so phrase. If we want to grow in humility, then I propose, and this would I would, for me personally— uh, it's, it's to know Jesus Christ, and in every way, factual and personally, and community. We need community, and I agree 100% with Steve. It is impossible to live the Christian life independent. You, you yeah. need one, we need one another uh, to grow. So, yeah, absolutely. I think those two formulas, or I don't know if I to call them formulas or steps, are the best at if, if one rich really and truly wants to grow, 
in humility and uh, lowliness of attitude. One one last question, and we'll, we'll close. Uh, there's another way that conflict happens, and we've seen it in the last couple of years, and that is like legitimate con conflict. And we see this actually in the Bible too. Legitimate conflict because of injustice. Hmm. There's something really going on, and there's a real hurt being done to a person or a group of people, yeah. and it's uh, that can cause conflict too. Um, how does humility help us in dealing with actual problems that, of injustice? Uh, this is a tricky one. Uh, yeah, when we talk social matters, uh, it, it can be delicate and because it's, it's such a divided kind of topic. Uh, but humility can help in bringing unity, and, and at least it, it tugs at the heart, and it reaches uh, for something greater. Just this week, I saw a snippet on the, on the news of President uh, Biden and his wife Jill landing in Mexico, and Jill Biden just kind of uh, uh, breaks protocol, per se, and, and uh, cordialities and formalities, and she embraces the Mexican president's wife. And then they all sort of huddle, like a football team kind of huddling, and they all embrace each other. And it, to me, just that visual effect, it, it spoke to me of humility because they were there to talk about immigration stuff the, yeah, and border issues, delicate. and that's a contentious issue, right? right. And there's right. some there's some stuff going on that's hard. And and, uh, and even right now, when I'm mentioning uh, Biden and his wife, there's divide just within that character, right? Sure, and sure. Politics and such. Sure. And, I, 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 and this, it's not my intent uh, to bring up uh, that, but what I'm trying to say is how the action of humility of uh, the president of the United States, uh, his wife how she, she brought everybody together, breaking protocol, hugging each other. Uh, it spoke loudly, and it spoke of two world governments kind of coming together and trying to work something out together. And, right. And it all started with that, I think. With a that, hug. That gesture, that, yeah. that humility. Um, I, I thought that was uh, fantastic. Yeah. yeah. Colossians chapter 3, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourself with compassion, kindness, humility, mm. gentleness, and patience. Yes. And bear with each other, forgiving one another as Christ forgave you. There is a way to interact um, where you can disagree and still be kind and not make it personal. I, there, there's a difference between immigration policy and the identity of the people you talk to yeah. about uh, immigration policy. Now, we're not going to solve immigration, you know, on this, in our right. time here. But there's a way to speak to someone where you've not, you've not attacked their identity because you disagree on something. And to be honest with you, I believe we're losing this skill because we don't practice it anymore. Mm. Practice what? We don't practice disagreeing. Oh. If we disagree about, we, we you know... We live in echo chambers of people uh, who just continually tell us the narrative we've already embraced. Yeah. And so if I've got a political persuasion, I only listen to channels and resources and news agencies that agree with my political persuasion. Mm. Now, there's some sense to that. But on yeah. the other hand, all you're doing, you're losing the ability to see the issues from the other side. For me to be able to disagree strongly about how, where you fall on an issue and yet not attack your personhood and make it personal about you 
That's a skill that the scriptures actually, how can you practice compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience unless you're with people that need patience? It's yeah. exercised, right? Yeah. So you can't just, you can't just put yourselves in these bubbles. Um, it's interesting. Yeah, it's interesting. Uh, there was a study done by George Washington University Law School and they showed people, uh, and this was actually done uh, before 2020. Uh, they showed people rioting and protesting. And then they, they had a reaction. They said, well, here's what they're protesting about. And depending on whether or not they agreed with that issue, they either had sympathy for the protesters or they did not. So you, you, wow. you can't even watch the same thing and come away with it. And so I, I, it reminds me of in Acts um, 5 and 6 when there's an issue of injustice, when mm. the Greek widows are not getting bread and the Hebrew widows are. And that's, that's an issue. And it's like, this isn't fair. And what do they do? They put the folks who were most affected, they listened to them. They put them in charge. The people who were affected are in charge of solving the problem because they're the ones most affected by it. Yeah. And the, the leaders are all Greek named yeah. followers. And, and then, it, then of course, unity follows because they've listened, compassion, kindness, uh, and they put down their, well, what's the problem? Tell us, tell us what you're experiencing. It's an active posture of listening, which is, I think, humility. <laughs> Absolutely. So. Yeah. Okay. Absolutely. Well, I think we've done a great job here. I think this is probably the best <laughs> podcast on humility that's ever happened. Yeah. So you're really proud of it. Huh? I'm really, it's really, oh no. Oh no. What have we done? Uh, thank you guys for coming on. Thanks for talking. And uh, again, I, if we're going to be unified, humility is going to be key. Um, grateful for you guys for modeling that and, and. For everyone out there, whether whatever kind of of, of conflict they have, um, uh, and I know there's a lot of conflict in a lot of different areas, um, we're praying for humility. So, thanks, yeah. guys. My You're pleasure. welcome. All right, talk to you soon. Just want to say thanks to Andy Barone and Steve Clifford for stopping by and talking about humility. Thanks for your stories, guys. Join us next week where we talk about distraction. What does it mean to be distracted? What does it mean to be spiritually distracted and how we can get undistracted? Jay Kim will be in the studio helping us not get distracted. And with that, we'll see you next week.